Well, for the last week or so, I have been away. Maybe you knew, maybe you didn't know, but I went on a birding expedition. And you might say, now what is that? Are there any bird watchers here among us? Yes, raise your hands high. Don't be shy. That's good. Well, if you are a, a bird watcher, an avid bird watcher, you know that there are some species that you will only find in the lower 48 in a very small part of the country. And that can be different parts of the country depending on what you're looking for. On this expedition, we went to southeast Arizona. Uh, but this was the group. I don't know if you recognize any of those characters. The one up in the close is my older brother, Nolan. And then there's yours truly. Then Eric Smith. And then Dr. Abbott sitting back here. And we all have t-shirts that our wives made for us. Our wives let us go, so that shows an element of support, right? On these t-shirts, it says, and I have a close-up here that you can see better. Here we go. Bird stalking 2023. And on the back, bird nerd. Well, what were we going for? I mean, so many miles. I, I calculated it up. It was 3,800 some miles to get to where we were going. And we went to several places. We went to Portal, Arizona. We spent a fair bit of time there. And Madera Canyon, we spent some time there. We went over on 20. We came back on 40. Did a big loop of 3,800 miles. I'm sure by the time you calculate all the back roads and different places we went, 4,000 miles. For birds? Yeah. For birds, for rare birds, rare species that are not at your feeder. Do you want to see some of these rare birds? Now, these are not our pictures, but through the binoculars, we got good looks at all of these. You have the olive warbler, only right there, just right on the border, if you will, with Mexico. And it comes up just enough that we can see it. Then you have the painted red star, beautiful, the red-faced warbler. Uh, we were fortunate to grab several of these, and we just stopped by the road. Let's check and see what's here. And sure enough, we would find it. Sometimes we would hear it on our app. There is an app called eBird and Merlin Bird ID, and you can hit the microphone there, and you can record the sounds. It will tell you what you're hearing. You can know if you're close. Because, ah, they picked up the red-faced warbler. Let's look. It's around. Sure enough, we see movement over here. There it is. Put it on the list. And we keep rolling. We saw Costa's hummingbird, the broad-billed hummingbird, Reveille's hummingbird. Uh, beautiful. When they catch the sunlight, this picture really doesn't do it justice for how beautiful these are. Then there's some that are kind of, you know, typical to this area, but there's a different subspecies, if you will. The Mexican chickadee, only there. Bridal titmouse, only there. What you see at, at your feeder is not the same thing. Then there was this elf owl. Now, last time we went to Texas, and we tried to find the elf owl, and it eluded us. So this time we said, we've got to find this elf owl. And so we were talking to some people in town. Sure enough, there's one right over here up in this tree. If you could be there at twilight or at dusk, you probably will be able to find it. And it's so small. It's only five to six inches tall. And I put the one with the hand on there so you can see how small. I'm told by the internet, it's the smallest owl on the planet, this elf owl. And so we're here at the portal post office, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting until, sure enough, what's that? And we look, and we shine with our light. Elf Owl, put it on the list. We're trying to improve our list, our life list, our year list, all of these lists that are all tracked for us on this app on our phones. But this was another one, the elegant trogon. Beautiful bird, one of the most tropical-looking birds that we have. There were four in this canyon, and we found all four, two males, two females. And they make this little kind of almost grunt sound. And you're walking through and you hear it. 
And you say, okay, we got to find this bird. Who's going to find this bird? And sometimes it sounds like it's far away and it's just right there, up in the tree. Beautiful. And then here is a picture of Nolan and uh, Dr. Abbott. They're in books. In fact, Dr. Abbott ordered a specific book to tell us exactly where to go, at what time, and what to see. Hence, bird nerd, right? And there's Nolan too. He's got a printout. He's looking. And, and so there's an element of the hunt. This is a vermilion flycatcher, another beautiful bird. It was a curve-billed thrasher, I think, that this nest is that's pictured there. So we're on the hunt. But I have to tell you about the rufous cap warbler. So there was a chance, and of course we, we huddle in the evenings or in the, in the car while we're riding. Where could we find this bird? Well, it's been spotted over here. It's been spotted over there. What's our chance of seeing it? And this bird was spotted in one specific place. Patagonia Lake. Follow this trail about a mile or so down the way. And it was just spotted there yesterday. Let's go grab it. Let's add it to the list. And so we set out to find this rufous-capped warbler. Anybody here seen a rufous-capped warbler? Yes. Very good. And so we go down there, and we're, we're logging a few things along the way, but we're focused because we want to find this rufous cap. We've seen and heard a lot of these other things already, but this is the one bird we're here for. And we finally get to the end of the trail, and we know we've arrived. How do we know? Because there's a bunch of people there, and they are playing the part. They have the hats. They have the binoculars. Some of them have vests. I mean, this is really serious when they have vests, like the camera-type vests. Some of them have cameras, like this camera right here. Some of them are camouflaged, and they're all waiting, and they're all looking. And so you're looking where they're looking, and you quietly come up next to them. You don't want to disturb. You know, they're obviously not seeing it at that moment. Have you seen the Rufus Cap Warbler today? And they look a little bit downtrodden, and they say, no, haven't seen it today. They appear to have been there a while. Huh, okay. Yeah, we're wondering if it's moved on or if it's relocated. We're not exactly sure. Interesting thing about birds, they do fly. So we're looking a little bit, and then on this app, we're listening for birds. And we're ignoring many of them. And it will even highlight the bird as it's singing. And Nolan turns his phone to the rest of us, and he says, It's picking up the rufous cap warbler. It's here. And Dr. Abbott says, Why don't we just go up the trail a little bit further away from all these people and see what we see? Now, Nolan, Eric, and Dr. Abbott are all better birders than I. I'm just along for the ride. I put it down on the phone, what they see and all these other things, and I, you know, but they're the ones that they can pow, pow, pow. They know what it is, and they can just rattle it off. So they all go in front, and I'm back behind, and you're just looking for any movement that's warbler size and about the location you're expecting this bird to be, and sure enough, I see some movement. It's right on a branch, clear view. I have my binoculars. And I'm looking through my binoculars, and I see, yes, a warbler. Yes, it has a rufous cap. Yes, it has the yellow throat, the eye line. Yes, I think this is my bird. Hey, 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 guys, come here. I see it. I see it. I see it. No way. Yes, it's over here. Come quick. So they're coming. They're where? And then you have to describe. And sometimes you have lasers, but we forgot to bring the lasers so you can kind of show what's underneath it. It's this branch up in this tree. And I'm trying to describe it without losing in case it flies. I want to follow this thing. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Oh, yeah, okay. And then the other one's describing it. It's on this branch. And so then they all start gathering. And then Eric starts calling for all these people with the big lenses. What, what, where, where? So they're all coming. They load up. 
click, 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 you know, they're trying to take all their pictures and everything else. At one point it flies and they find it again. And sure enough, it's been spotted. It's here. Check it off the list. We're there at the end of this trail, a total of maybe five minutes. Let's go. We've seen it. We're done. And we're walking back and I thought, that felt pretty good. (laughs) Hey, all these professionals there looking for this bird. They can't find it. It's elusive. Here come all these young bucks. I mean, most birders are like, you know, retired. Here come these young bucks with these bird nerd shirts on, thinking they're all something. And all of a sudden, here it is. Check. See you later. (laughs) Uh, How fun. And you start to think, I'm a pretty good birder. Looky there. Kind of like the old Barney Fife, you (sighs) found it. But let me ask you, did I create the bird? No. Did I place it in that spot? No. Was I the first one that found it in that spot? No. Did I invent the phone that helped me find that spot or the book? Did I write the book? No. Did I make these binoculars I saw with in my basement? No. I'm just the doofus that saw movement on a branch and said, there it is. But somehow that makes me feel like I'm really something. We like to feel like we're something, don't we? That we contributed, that we were a part, that we, you know, we found it. And you might be wondering, what does that have to do with our topic today? Well, this is our second in a series that I'm doing called Christ, Our Righteousness. And sometimes I think it's all too easy when it comes to our righteousness to think that we have something to do with it. In fact, we want to have something to do with it. We want ourselves to be able to contribute in some way. We want a pat on the back. We want somebody to say, good job. You did well. Last time we looked at how the third angel's message, the loud cry of the third angel, Christ our righteousness, justification by faith, they are all different ways of saying the same thing. They're used interchangeably. But starting in 1888 and onward in this denomination, Christ our righteousness has become a volatile topic. And some have fought violently against it. Some will caution you to stay away from it. Yet we find in Scripture and the spirit of prophecy that this message is fundamental to the salvation of all who hear the gospel. So why the pushback from some? And that's what I want to look at today. The sting of justification by faith. We could say the sting of Christ, our righteousness. I believe there's a resistance. There is a pushback. There's a lot of argument. There's a lot of debate. Is there a sting? Is there a negative aspect of justification by faith? I mean, you might be thinking justification by faith is wonderful. What could be the negative aspect? Well, for many of us, it cuts across our pride, our ego, the idea that I'm pretty good that I have something to do with bringing about my salvation, that good works are just that. They are good. They're respectable. In fact, they're admirable to do something. Well, it appeals to my pride. This idea that I am somehow good enough 
to be saved. But what does the Bible tell us? All our righteousness are like filthy rags. Does it say some? Does it even say most? All? Our righteousness are like filthy rags? What's the implication of this verse? If Christ is my righteousness, if Christ is my justification, the implication of this verse is I don't have any righteousness of my own. And that cuts across me and my pride. Romans 10 verse 3 says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So if He must be my righteousness, then I cannot produce it of myself. Is that true? Continuing on in verse 4, for Christ is the end or the fulfillment. If you have an NIV, it says it's the culmination of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. That Christ is our righteousness. And so if He must be my righteousness, then I cannot produce it of myself. Further, it says to me that all the righteous deeds I have been trying to do are not righteous. All the Sabbath keeping, all the tithe paying, all the missionary work, all the preaching, all the Bible studies, none of these are righteousness. If Christ must be your righteousness, then all of your righteousness is nothing. The message is Christ our righteousness, not we our righteousness. Testimonies to ministers. Twist it a little bit more, page 456. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. We like to talk about the positive aspects of justification by faith, how Christ is my righteousness, how it is a free gift, how it's imputed and imparted to me. But we almost always leave out the part about laying my glory in the dust. But it's the work of God to lay the glory of man in the dust. Those things with which we can boast. And why is any of that important? Because you cannot have God do for you that which you think you can do for yourself. And the devil would like us to distort this subject. Why? Because when Christ our righteousness is correctly taught and preached, it deprives me of all that past righteousness that I thought was my ticket to heaven. When I almost had heaven in my grasp, some preacher comes along and tells me, I'm not going to make it because I do not have any righteousness of my own. Not any? Not even a little bit? No. Your and my best efforts are what? filthy rags. I must have the Lord's righteousness to be saved, not my own. Period. Full stop. When in 1888, Jones and Wagner talked about this, many of the leading brethren cringed to think that all I've done and sacrificed for this church is filthy rags. To confess, after all this time walking with Jesus, that I am still filled with weakness and sins? No, I rather prefer the idea that I have gained something. That I can be credited with something. 
that my righteousness, that my good deeds count for something. No, this message was degrading to them, not elevating. I mean, let's be honest. The message of justification by faith, the message of Christ our righteousness, the everlasting gospel, we can call it the three angels' messages, can be intimidating to people. First, the Bible teaches that we must be righteous. And then the teaching of justification by faith says that we are not righteous. No, not one. Therefore, if I'm not righteous, I do not satisfy the Bible requirement. Therefore, I am condemned and I am a lost soul. Yep, 100%. And that's the sting, if you will, of justification by faith. The sting of Christ, our righteousness, because it announces to the world that I'm hopelessly lost. That my best efforts are tainted. They're filthy rags. So let's read these verses again. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And we can say, oh, they were ignorant. They didn't know any better. Not true. They knew about the righteousness of Christ, but they were willing to submit to it. In fact, they rejected it. Why? We feel more comfortable in our own righteousness. For Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Friends, for those that believe that Christ is their righteousness, he is the fulfillment of the law for them. But if I'm seeking to establish my own righteousness, even just a tiny bit of my own righteousness, will I ever accept his? They didn't. And you won't either. It's impossible. Somehow I must be aware of my condition before I will ever look for righteousness elsewhere. As long as I'm satisfied with my own righteousness or any portion of it, I'm not going to seek righteousness from Him. Why? Because I'm content. If my Sabbath keeping is good enough for me, if my tithe pain is good enough for me, if my work for the Lord is good enough for me, I'm satisfied with it. What does the Bible say about the Laodicean church? You say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have a need of nothing. I do not know and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But this is the rut we so easily fall into. We think we're not that bad. We can compare ourselves to the world out there. We're in church. I don't need to worry about any other righteousness. I have the truth. I've been following it, have I not? So far as I'm concerned, that is righteousness, and that is good enough. Have you noticed we like anything that elevates self, but we dislike anything that depreciates self? And we're quick to say, oh, pride, that was an issue of the scribes and Pharisees. Pride is not my issue. Matter of fact, I'm the most humble person in the church. I put this on the screen before. William Backus, in his book, has symptoms of pride, trying to be noticed, craving attention, itching for compliments, needing to be important, detesting the idea of being submissive, loathing the idea of admitting to wrong, strongly opinionated, being argumentative, demanding your way, wanting control over others, flaunting your individual rights, refusing advice, being critical, yet resenting criticism, being oversensitive, thinking you have excellences you really don't have. How about now? Anybody in the room struggle with one of these? 
There's an aspect of justification by faith, an aspect of Christ our righteousness that stings because it hurts our pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But you knew that one. Another verse says it this way, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Abomination is a form of idolatry, by the way. Here's another one, Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. And the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride. We looked at this last time. At the time of the end, people will be first off the list, lovers of who? Themselves. It goes into the long list, including lovers of money, which is about me, boastful, it's again about me, proud, well, me. Then it goes on to all these other things, and it ends with this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Is it possible we're here? The form looks good, but pride is alive and well. Christ our righteousness, well, maybe we say Christ their righteousness. I have a form of my own. I'm a pretty good guy. At the 1880 conference in Minneapolis, Jones and Wagner did not avoid the negative side, if you will, of Christ our righteousness. In fact, Wagner made it very prominent. Here are a few of the texts he used to the not-so-appreciative crowd. You want to see some of them? And I've kept his picture up, not because the words come from him, it's just because that's what he used. Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Psalm 39, 3 to 5. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths and my age as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. Another one, Psalm 9, verse 20. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, all lowercase, in whom there is no help. Ecclesiastes 3, 19 and 20 is another one he used. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. Isaiah 40, verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. The voice said, cry out, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All of these verses were used in Wagner's preaching of justification by faith in 1888. And what was his point? To show that God is everything, and that man is nothing. So is that where he left it? No, it's not. In all the preaching by Jones and Wagner about the nothingness of man, they always pointed out that God loved man. 
and counted him so precious that he gave for man the most valuable thing in all of heaven, the Lord Jesus. And the reason that sinners are valuable is not because they're righteous, but because of the price paid for them. It's not because we're so good. It's because He is so good. It's not because of what we think about ourselves, but because of what God thought about us when He gave Jesus for you and me. In God's estimation of us, that makes us good and valuable, not our estimation of ourselves. In Christ, we are valuable. In ourselves, we are nothing. Did you catch that? In Christ, we are valuable. In ourselves, we are nothing. Our goodness, our best efforts, they're tainted. They're filthy rags like grass, like the fading flowers. They're here for a few days and they're gone. Can you put your trust in that? No, of course not. We must put our trust in something far better than that. And so Wagner also uses verses like these, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Can't I do something? No, you can do nothing. Yeah, but I helped this person over here. Yeah, but I hope this person over here would notice. Filthy rags. Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Think about that. All that he did for the Lord, saying that about himself, for I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. But that same Paul also writes this verse in Philippians 3, verse 8, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Let me ask you, what are the things that Paul counted as loss? What's Paul talking about? Well, from what we know of Paul, it includes things like monetary loss. Check that box. Losing his position in the Sanhedrin. Check that box. The prestige he once held among his brethren. Check that box. But then there was something else Paul lost. He said he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Friends, a Pharisee is proud of his own righteousness. Is it true? Friends, Paul had to discard his own righteousness. Paul had to look at himself as having nothing but filthy rags. Paul is talking about the willing death of self. I mean, what's good in self that we should enhance it or foster it, that we should take credit for it? Testimony to Ministers 4.56 says this. We read it already. But what is justification by faith? It is the work of God and laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which is not in his power to do for himself. Scripture says it this way in Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, maybe he's the author, but I can finish it. I've got this. No, you don't. He who began a good work, he will be faithful to bring it to completion. That's not just an option, it's the only option. And some may hear this and think, all my life, I've looked forward to some kind of success or achievement. And now you come along and with one swoop, you wipe me out and say, I can't have it. 
But friends, with all due respect, this is not my idea. This has always been in the Bible. It's always been there in spirit prophecy. If we've missed it, we've been deceived. And we have grossly neglected the things that will get us to the kingdom. My greater fear is that we have willingly neglected some of these things. We keep hoping there's some other way that we can circumvent the death of self. That some way we can have self and Christ as our righteousness both at the same time. That's my biggest fear. But friends, only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will even request it. And why are we so hungry and thirsty for it? Because we see our true condition, that there's no hope in and of ourselves. Friends, only needy souls will ever plead for the righteousness of Christ. Only those who see themselves as unrighteous will sense a need for what only Christ can give. Self must be cast into the dust. And honestly, this is the beginning point of true preaching of justification by faith. How far are you going to get in the AA meeting when you say, my name's David Wright and I don't have a problem? No, self must be cast into the dust. This is the beginning point. Do you remember the children of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt? And the Lord leads them into the wilderness and he gave them his law. And we read, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, Exodus 24 verse 3, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. We got it. We got it. We got this. A few weeks later, they broke their covenant with God. They bowed down to worship a graven image. Patriarchs and Prophets 524, one of my favorites, says, Before there could be any permanent reformation, the people must be led to feel their utter inability in themselves to render obedience to God. Before any permanent reformation could take place, their utter inability... While they trusted in their own strength and righteousness, it was impossible for them to secure the pardon of their sins. They could not meet the claims of God's perfect law, and it was in vain that they pledged themselves to serve God. If you're trusting your own strength and your own righteousness, it's impossible. And you know that better than anyone else because you've proven it. But the quote goes on, it was only by faith in Christ that they could secure pardon of sin and receive strength to obey God's law. They must cease to rely upon their own efforts for salvation. They must trust wholly, completely, fully, 100% in the merits of the promised Savior if they would be accepted of God. Friends, that's good news. Often you do not like its implications to our pride, but at the end of the day, it's good news. The Bible says it this way in Isaiah 40, 1 and 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Friends, the instant I accept Christ as my righteousness, as my justification... It says her warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. And it's saying comfort the people of Christ or with Christ our righteousness. This is a comfort to us. You don't have to struggle in your own strength to attain righteousness. 
Christ has achieved. Christ is our victory. Christ is our success. Christ is the victor of all humankind. Christ is our king. And in him, we are accepted. In him, we're justified. In him, we're sanctified. But we must cease to rely on our own efforts for salvation. We must trust wholly in the merits of the promised Savior. Christ, our righteousness. Christ, my righteousness. First Selected Messages 333 says, Come with humble hearts, not thinking that you must do some good work to merit the favor of God. Though you must make yourself better before you can come to Christ. You're powerless to do good and cannot better your condition. Apart from Christ, we have no merit, no righteousness. Our sinfulness, our weakness, our human imperfection make it impossible that we should appear before God unless we are clothed in Christ's spotless righteousness. We are to be found in Him, not having our own righteousness, but the righteousness which is in Christ. A few pages later, she says it this way on page 342. The righteousness of Christ is presented as a free gift to the sinner if he will accept it. He has nothing of his own, but what is tainted and corrupted, polluted with sin, utterly repulsive to a pure and holy God. Only through righteous character of Jesus Christ can man come nigh to God. Let's suppose for a minute that someone were to give you a huge mansion, fully furnished, beautifully landscaped, has a view, horses, a lake. You get the idea. And they give it to you. It's a free gift. But you feel bad, and so you pull out your wallet, and you thumb through it, and you find a $20 bill. And you say, this is too much. Here, I want you to have this. Even better. I think, yes, I have hidden here. I have a $100 bill. That makes $120. I'll write you a check for a couple thousand dollars. How would the giver feel? Wouldn't that be a bit insulting? And they're trying to explain, no, this is a gift. And as soon as you give me 20 bucks, it ceases to be a gift. Instead of being generous, I'm just a huge fool for giving it to you for 20 bucks. No, the righteousness of Christ is presented as a free gift to the sinner if we accept it. Ephesians 2.8 says it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And somebody's going to get antsy and say, finish the verse, and yes, we're going to do good things as a result and all of that. But if we put the cart before the horse, we run into big and major problems. But if we get the order right, it makes all the difference. If I don't put in the foundation and I just build the house, is that going to be a good investment? I mean, the foundation's not very flashy. Holes in the ground, lots of mud, some concrete, cinder block, maybe some rebar. Whoopie-doo! But if the foundation isn't right, you can't build on it. And when it comes to this beginning point of justification by faith, the foundation must be right. The foundation must be God and not myself. Testimonies of Ministers 456 says this, None but God can subdue the pride of man's heart. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot regenerate ourselves. In the heavenly courts, there will be no song sung to me that loved myself and washed myself and redeemed myself. Unto me be glory and honor and blessing and praise. 
But this is the keynote of the song that is sung by many here in this world. They don't know what it means to be meek and lowly in heart, and they do not mean to know this if they can avoid it. The whole gospel is comprised in learning of Christ, His meekness and lowliness. It's an interesting quote. Many are singing the wrong song, but Revelation is very clear on what song will be sung, and every creature which is in heaven. I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We can't put ourselves in that spot. And Lord, forgive us if we've tried. This subject's not a difficult one to understand, but for some it can be a difficult one to accept because the proud heart rises against it. The story is told of a man in his late 60s He was an elder in his local Adventist church, and he heard this message. He was usually a talkative man, but not after he heard that message. He was as silent as could be. Got home while eating Sabbath lunch. He sat sullenly at the table with his wife and a lady who was a resident of their home. He didn't touch a bite of his food. He just sat there and moped. Finally, after about 10 to 15 minutes of silence, he uttered, if that preacher is right, and he said it in a derogatory way, if that preacher is right, everything I've ever done for the last 40 years is no good. And the two ladies sitting there at the table like a chorus they'd rehearsed for years both quietly said, that's right. If you'd hit him in the stomach with a baseball bat, it wouldn't have hurt as much. This man literally did not speak for six straight weeks. He could speak, he just didn't. After prayer meeting, he's usually the last one to leave, sit around talking with everyone, but not in the weeks that followed. For the last 20 years, he had been nagging his son to come back to church. He had got kicked out of high school, decided he didn't need the church. And for 20 years, every time he saw his son, he was nagging, nagging, when are you going to come back to church? When are you going to come back to church? When are you going to come back to church? The son later told the preacher that for some strange reason, at this very same time, his dad stopped nagging him to come back to church. The man was in absolute misery. He was distressed, frustrated, confused. He was upset because he had lost his ticket to heaven, but it was a supposed ticket that would never get him there. His dear wife, who loved him very much, had longed for the day when he would discover that all his righteousness were filthy rags. For years, he had treated her like many legalists and self-righteous people, treat others who do not live up to their standards. Have you met a few? And it's true. When you discover the sting of justification by faith, it can be a most unpleasant experience. But the Lord very patiently and kindly comes alongside us and comforts us, tries to help us make a decision. But until we turn our backs on vile self, we can never have Christ, our righteousness. Until Christ is our all in all, we really don't need His righteousness. Ours is good enough. But friends, the Lord wants us to have an experience where Christ is supreme, where He is both unto us salvation and righteousness. And when Seventh-day Adventists and this world become filled with the glory of this subject, the three angels' messages, when they make their decision for Jesus completely as their righteousness, as well as their Savior, I believe the work will be finished very quickly. We will see revivals all over the place. And then... The Lord Jesus can say to us, well done, good 
and faithful servant. May the Lord help us all to realize that the only thing we're going to lose is something very bad, and that is sinful self. And the giver of every good and precious gift will take away no good thing from us. He will only take away the bad things. May we trust Him and look to Him for our righteousness. For this will make us extremely happy and we'll find tremendous comfort. Comfort ye. Comfort my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Christ our righteousness. May Christ and Christ alone be our righteousness today.